Okay, let's dig into God's Word. Let's pray. Very excited about this new series, Psalm 119. And uh, I need God's help. We all need God's work in our hearts. Let's pray together. Thank you so much, Father, for the gift of the Scriptures. Thank you for inspiring this psalmist. Not sure who it was, but thank you for giving him perfect truth from you to write for us so that we can learn more about how to walk with you and how to know you and how to trust you. And I pray that you would pour out your spirit through your word today. Specifically, I pray that you would transform us in how we tend to think and feel about your commands. You would do a powerful work in that, which is a huge part of these first eight verses. Help me, give me your heart and your wisdom, and do a powerful work now as we open up your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's turn to Psalm 119. Like I said, I'm very excited about this series. Uh, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand, because we are, we'd love to give you a copy so that you can look on with us as we study through this psalm. We're going to take the first eight verses this morning. Psalm 119 is on page 512 in the Bibles that we're passing out right now. And while you're turning there, here's what I want you to think about. Honestly, just search your own heart. How do you feel about God's commands? Like when you, when you think about commands like be devoted to prayer or commands like love your enemies, or commands like meditate on God's word day and night, or commands like go and make disciples. When you think about the commands in the scriptures, how do you feel about them? And the reason I ask that is I think too many of us too often feel God's commands as a weighty burden, uh, something that's oppressive something that's limiting, that's constraining in some way. And the reason I mention that is that in these eight verses, the author of Psalm 119 gives us a picture of God's commands that will totally change how you feel if you've been feeling that God's commands are burdensome and oppressive and weighty. And this picture that he gives us of God's commands will transform us so that we see them as exciting and as motivating and we've got passion and energy to obey them. We welcome them, we love them, we want to learn more of them. So let's take a look at what he says here. But now, before we we get into these first eight verses, I need to explain something puzzling. When you look at Psalm 119, right before the first verse, in my Bible, I think this is in in all the Bibles, you see the word Aleph, right? Everybody's got that there? What is that? And then you read down farther, and right before verse 9, you see the word Beth, and before the word, verse 17, you see the, the word gimel. So what is that all about? Here's what's going on with that. Aleph is the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And if you read these first eight verses in the Hebrew, you will see that the first letter of every verse, of every statement in every verse, the first letter is the letter Aleph. It's like an acrostic poem, you call this. And then the second eight verses, verses 9 through 16... The first letter in the Hebrew of every statement starts with the letter Beth, B, letter B. And you have that going through this whole psalm. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and there are 22 sections, eight verses long, and each one begins with the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So why would the author put that constraint 
on him? Why would he stick to that form? This is poetry. Why would he stick to that form? And he doesn't tell us why. But here's my my guess for what it's worth. My guess is that since Psalm 119 is all about how to nurture a heart for God, how to walk with God the Father through Jesus, how to, to trust him, how to grow in him, how to nurture passion for God, Psalm 119 is all about how to nurture a heart for God. And I think maybe what he wants to tell us is that he's giving us the A to Z, the Aleph to the Tuv of how to walk with God, how to nurture a heart for God. He wants to cover the whole gamut. Maybe that's what he's, he's telling us. So with that in mind, where does he start? And he starts by telling us how we can be blessed. Okay, look at those first three words. Blessed are those. So what does it mean to be blessed? That's a word we can easily just gloss over. It's a spiritual word, religious word, whatever. What does the Hebrew word blessed mean? There's two different Hebrew words. This one means joy, joyful, and happy, deeply joyful and happy. It's not just kind of a of a dutiful, I'm supposed to feel, be joyful and happy, but this word blessed means heartfelt, experienced joy, gladness, pleasure, fullness, satisfaction, happiness. That's where he starts, telling us how we can be blessed. Now this is huge. This could turn your Christian life inside out and upside down. Because too many people think God wants us to stop pursuing joy and gladness and start following him. Okay, Too many people think that. That is not the case. That is completely wrong. In this first verse of this long psalm about how to nurture a heart for God, God tells us how to find joy and happiness, gladness, fullness. I love this truth about the Bible and about God. He created you. He created me with a desire, a craving, a longing for joy and for happiness and for gladness. And he wants us to pursue those desires for joy and for happiness and for gladness. Our problem is not that we seek joy too much. Our problem is that we seek it in the wrong places and that we settle for too little. It's like you've got a cup which can hold joy, and we're content with a couple little drops, when he wants to fill us up with a deep, glad, joyful beholding of him, knowing his love, experiencing his presence, so our cups are overflowing. That's what he wants to give to us. And so this psalm starts off by telling us how we can find the joy and the gladness and the happiness that we crave. Interested? I am. Let's dig in. So where do we find it? How can we be blessed? Now, fair warning, this first sentence could make you immediately throw in the towel. That's not me. That disqualifies me. Okay, so we're all in the same boat. But I want to explain what this first verse means, and you'll see that we are not disqualified from this because of Christ. So here's the first verse. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. To be blessed, to have our hearts overflowing with joy and gladness and satisfaction, 
our way needs to be blameless. Do you see why we are all tempted at this point to throw in the towel? Anybody here who is sinless? Mm, Just wanted to make sure. No, okay. None of us are sinless here. And the reason we are tempted to throw the towel in at this point is we can think blameless means sinless. That is not the case. Very important you understand this. The reason is because the Bible is very clear that no one is sinless. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, John says, If anybody here says you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself. Which means we all have sin. Even at our best moments, we're still tinged with sin. Okay, No one this side of heaven is free from sin. So the scripture does not say anyone is sinless. But the scripture does say, describe people who are blameless. So what does that mean? can't mean sinless, because the scripture says no one is sinless, but the scriptures do describe people who are blameless. What does that mean? Like Take, take David, for example. David is described as blameless. And yet we know David committed adultery and committed murder. And yet he's described as being blameless. Okay, see the question? So what does blameless mean? Now, Hebrew dictionaries note that the the root of that word is the idea of complete, complete. And what they say is that this word blameless means completely surrendered to God. Not sinless, but completely surrendered to the Lord. That is, you bring before God every sin, you confess every sin you're aware of before him, You are sorrowful for for every sin. You're asking him to forgive you through Jesus Christ, which he will. You're asking him to help you not pursue that sin anymore. And you ask that meaningfully from the heart. You don't want to pursue that sin anymore. doesn't mean you're sinless, but it means you're completely surrendering every part of your life, every part of your heart, every sin you're aware of before him. Help me, forgive me, cleanse me, change me. I don't want to pursue that anymore. Help me. That's the person who's completely surrendered. So let's think about David. Okay, let's think about David when he realized that he had committed um, adultery and murder after the prophet Nathan came to him and he was, he was convicted. When David saw what he had done, he turned to God and completely surrendered to him. Completely surrendered to him. He didn't just surrender part of his heart. Okay, God, I'm going to keep going to church and I'm going to offer sacrifices and I'm going to be honest. I'm going to you know, love people, but I'm going to hang on to my adultery and my murder. That's not blameless because that's not complete surrender to the Lord. It's not what David did. What David did was he surrendered everything to the Lord. He said, I'm sorry for my adultery and for my murder. Forgive me. That was wrong. I've wronged you. Against you, you only have I sinned, he prays in Psalm 51. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Please. Change my heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God, he prays in Psalm 51. Renew a right spirit within me. I hate what I did. Help me. Now, as he's coming, is he sinless? No. But he's blameless because he's coming with complete surrender. 
Complete surrender is really kind of it's another word for faith. You, you are trusting your life entirely to God. And as you do that, now we have the more clear picture with the coming of Jesus and the Messiah through Jesus. We are blameless because we are forgiven and clothed with his righteousness. But it does not mean sinlessness. It means complete surrender. Do you see that? Okay, so let's get real tangible here. You know what you did yesterday morning. Right? Lost your temper, or last night, maybe looked at something you shouldn't have, or this morning, maybe, whatever it might be. Okay, We've, we've all known, we've, we've done stuff wrong recently. You can be blameless right now. Blameless right now. And be, and be able to experience, blessed are those whose way is blameless. Here's how. You turn to Jesus Christ as you are. Surrendering yourself completely to him. Asking him to forgive you for what happened yesterday morning. Or last night, forgive me. I'm sorry. Because of Jesus, wash me clean. Assure me of forgiveness right now. Help me not do that again. I don't want to do that again, ever again. Help me. So, do you see how that's complete surrender before the Lord? Are you sinless? No. Are you completely surrendered? Yes. Are you blameless? Yes, because of Jesus Christ. The only way to find the joy and the fullness, the happiness that you're seeking is by living in complete surrender to God through Jesus Christ. It's the only way. And the rest of verse 1 then says that if we're blameless, we will walk in the law of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to walk in the law of the Lord. The answer is in verse 2. But read verses 1 and 2 together so you can see where I'm going here. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Now notice, walking in the law of the Lord is the same as keeping God's testimonies Testimony is just another way of God's commands. God has testified how he wants us to live. So walking in the law of the Lord is the same as keeping God's testimonies, which is the same as seeking God with your whole heart. Which means that every command in God's word, every command has at at its core seeking God with your whole heart. Every command, the heart of it is seeking God. So you can take the whole law, all of God's word, Genesis to Revelation, and you can boil down all the commands. The heart of all of them is seeking God, seeking God. That's why, for example, um, remember when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? Remember what his answer is? Okay, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, Remember what the first of the Ten Commandments is? Okay, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Okay, because see, we're all seeking something to satisfy our hearts, and God is our all-satisfying treasure. And so the, all, every command has at his heart, this is how you seek God. This is how you seek your heart in God. This is how you seek nearness to God, how you seek fellowship with God. This is how you, you do it. Picture, anybody ever been gold panning? Is that what you call it? Gold panning? You pan for gold? Anybody ever done that? Okay, a few. Okay, so you're seeking gold, okay? And you're, you're seeking gold. And why are you seeking gold? Because you want to find gold, okay? And when you find gold, it's like, Eureka, right? I have found it. 
The Bible says when we seek God with all our hearts, we will what? Find him. When you seek God through Jesus Christ, you will find him. Here's what that means. Even though we've all sinned against God, because of Jesus, God's great love for us in sending Jesus, the moment we surrender and put our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and as our Lord and as our treasure, we're completely forgiven. And God does something amazing at that point. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity. Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. And the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus Christ, to, to enable us to experience the glory, feel the glory, see the glory, taste the glory, love the glory of God. He makes Jesus, the Son, and God the Father real to us in our experience. So we see the truth and feel the beauty of who God is in the truth. And when you experience God in that way by the Holy Spirit, you at that point, for the first time, have tasted the joy that you were meant to experience knowing God. A joy that surpasses every other joy there is. And so from that moment on, you're hooked. You've tasted the ultimate joy. And so from there on, your heart's been changed by the work of the Holy Spirit. You seek God with all your heart for the rest of your life. That's what you do. And so walking in the law of the Lord means seeking God with your whole heart, and that's how you're blessed because God is your highest joy. Blessing comes in knowing God. Blessing comes in beholding God, trusting Jesus, fellowshipping with Jesus. And so blessed are those whose way is blameless, who are completely surrendered to Jesus Christ every part of their life. Not sinless, but completely surrendered. Because when we do that, we're seeking God with our whole heart. We find him, we're filled, and we're blessed. Now, let me just, this is really important. The joy that we have in knowing God is not circumstantial. Okay, It's not based on being healthy, being wealthy. None of those things are what we're talking about here. We're talking about the the love of God, beholding him, knowing him, loving him. And he will so satisfy you so it doesn't make any difference what happens to your health. It doesn't make any difference. God has so, I mean, just my little health issues here, God has so met me that I have had times where I've been filled with joy, even with my little health issues. Because this is what we're talking about here. Seeking God with all our hearts. So the question is, how are we blessed? How do we get the blessing, the joy, the the fullness of heart we're looking for? And it comes in God alone. Being blameless, which means fully surrendered before him. Walking in his word, which means seeking him with all of our hearts. Because when we seek him through Christ, we will find him. And he will give us times where he pours his love into our hearts so fully that you are completely filled. Now, How then will we live if we're seeking God with our whole hearts? How will we live? And look what he says in verse 3. Who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. When we're seeking God with our whole hearts, we will do no wrong. Doesn't mean we're always seeking God with our whole hearts, right? But when we are, we will do no wrong, because instead we'll be walking in his ways. Now picture it like this. 
for all of us, all the time, there's, there's two ways we can walk, okay? There's two paths before us. There's God's way, God's path, okay? The ways of God. And then there's a, the sinful way. There's always these two paths before us. Okay, and the reason, one reason this path is called God's ways, one of the reasons is because that's where God is. That's where he will meet you in his presence. When you walk in God's ways, God's there. And he will fellowship with you. He will commune with you. He will talk with you. You will talk with him. He will comfort you. He will strengthen you. He will satisfy you in himself. The path of God's ways is the path where God is. And the the other path, sin's ways, is where God is not. And so here's the question. If God is on that path, God's ways, and if he's not on this path, sin's ways, and if you're seeking God with all your heart, which path are you going to walk on? Let me try this again. Okay, so... Here's this path over here, God's ways. God's here on this path. God's there, ready to fellowship with you, ready to fill you, ready to strengthen you, comfort you, satisfy you. This is sin's path. God's not there. You won't be experiencing his fellowship, won't be experiencing his love poured into your heart. You want to see God with all your heart? One more time. Which path are you going to walk on? His ways, okay? Now, this is so powerful in terms of how you think of God's commands, though. Let's get tangible. Okay, you've had a long day, busy day, got up early, work, phone calls, laundry, cooking, accounting, bricklaying, whatever you do, driving, okay, and you get home, you know, dinner, and, and you, haven't, you haven't had any time to seek the Lord, okay? And if you're like me, and you probably are, it's, you know, it's, you're tired, and it's like it's been a long day, and, and you, just, you just want to veg in front of like Facebook or TV or, right? Hello? Okay, but you've had no time with the Lord. So here you are, you have God's ways and you have sin's ways and you haven't had any time with the Lord. Nothing wrong with watching TV sometimes. Okay, it's not, that's not the issue here. The issue is you haven't had any time with the Lord. And so what will you do? This isn't easy, okay, because you, you're just tired. You want to veg, right? But if you can understand there's God's ways, and God will meet me there. As I pray, God will come. As I open up the scriptures, God will visit me. This isn't just doing a religious duty, right? The reason I want to pray is because I'm seeking God with all my heart, and I want God. The reason I want to read the word isn't just, well, I can check off a list, I I read the Bible, it's because I want to meet the living God. And so, see, every command... Every command is is an invitation to go on God's way so that you can meet God. Every command in the scriptures, every single one, is an invitation. Here's how you can know more relationship with God, deeper fellowship with God, sweeter association with God through Jesus Christ. This is how you do it. And so God's ways are where God lives. And so, I know this is really hard. And some of you are probably feeling convicted about, because we we, we all have all had days like that, right? You're just just tired, just... Anyway, I'm just going to veg out here. But understand what's happening because you're walking on this path because you haven't any time with the Lord and so you're going to be emptier, less blessed than you would have been had you walked in God's ways. So what I'm hoping is starting to happen now is you'll see the reason you obey God's commands is not just because you're supposed to or because you're a Christian and this is what Christians do or just because this is your duty. 
Every command is a signed invitation from God. I'd like to meet you here. I want to meet you now. So we're facing, there's God's ways, and there's sin's ways, and God's here. And I want to walk with the living God. I want to know God. I want to fellowship with God. I want to worship God. I want to behold His glory. I want to live for His glory. That's the path on which that happens. So they do no wrong, but they walk in His ways. Now, in these, these first three verses, and what the author's done, I hope, at least this is what's happened in my heart, he has impacted the way I have viewed God's commands. All of us, I'm sure, have a tendency to see God's commands as things to check off the list, duties, obligations, things I'm supposed to do. Okay, I did it, I did it, I did it. And we don't see clearly enough that every command that God gives is an invitation for more closeness with him. Love your enemies. God's saying, that's the path in which you will walk with me more closely. Forgive other people. That path of forgiveness is not easy, but he will meet you on that path. Don't, don't gossip, okay? Gossip, that's over here. God's not there, okay? Don't gossip. Speak kindly of people. You don't need to say some things. Speak mercifully towards people. That's where God is. So see, every command is an invitation from God for more of him. Are you seeing this? This will transform your obedience, this will transform the way you think about God's commands. Okay, now, in light of that, then in verses 1 through 3, how will we respond to God's commands? In light of that view of what, of what the blessed man is to do, what it means to be blameless, walking in the law of the Lord, keeping his testimony, seeking with all our heart, doing no wrong, walking in his ways, how will we respond to God's commands? Look at verse 4. The author says, You've commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Think about that. God's commanded his precepts, his commands, to be kept diligently. So he wants us to be praying diligently, to be forgiving diligently, to be reading his word diligently, right? He wants us to be loving each other diligently, to be making disciples diligently. Every command God's given us, he wants to be kept diligently. Isn't that convicting? It's really easy for us to well, kind of make light of, you know, well, I'll, I'll, this one I like, I don't like that one so much. Every command in God's word, he's given us to be kept diligently. Now why? Why does God want you to be diligent in keeping his word, and keeping his commands? Why? It's because he loves us. He cares about us. Remember, every command is an invitation for more blessedness in him. So he says, be diligent in keeping the commands because as you do that, you'll experience more blessedness in me. I will meet you. I will comfort you. I will strengthen you. I will encourage you. Be diligent in keeping God's commands. That's the first way this will help us to respond. We will be keeping his commands diligently. Okay, now there's a danger though in, as soon as you think, okay, I'm going to keep these commands diligently. We are to do that, but we also need to realize that we can't keep them by our own power. That's verse 5. The, the psalmist, he knows that, he feels that, so look at what he says in verse 5. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. So here he's praying, see that? And he's asking God, help me to be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Help me to be steadfast. When was the last time that you prayed and asked God, Help me to pray more. Help me to read your word. Help me to forgive people more. 
Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, um, deliver us, see, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's, that's how we should be praying. Deliver us from evil. Deliver me from evil. Help me not sin. Strengthen me so I keep your commands. That should be a regular part of our rhythm of prayer. Just one little story. Um, two or three years ago, I, I was noticing that jealousy was an, was an, had become an issue with me. Just being jealous. It's embarrassing to admit it. No excuse for it. It's ugly. It's unbelief. But it was there. And I started praying about it. Because I'd seen this in Psalm 119, asking God for help. I said, Lord, help me. Help me understand what's, what, what unbelief is at the root of that. Help me trust your promises so that that's conquered. Change my heart. And I tell you, I've still got other issues I'm working on, okay? But I just noticed this three or four weeks ago. Jealousy has really not been an issue for me for a while now. And I think this is why. It's not that I'm, I mean, I'm just, if God lifted his grace off of me, it wouldn't be pretty, and it wouldn't be pretty for any of us, okay? But when we ask him to help us, help me to obey, help me to read your word, help me to make disciples, help me to love my brothers and sisters, help me to leave my family, help me to be wise with my kids, help me to work hard at my job, help me. He will help you. He will help you. Picture this, like this reservoir of grace up here, right? And sometimes you have not because you ask not. So God, help me to pray more. Prayer stirring grace comes upon you or Bible reading grace comes upon you or enemy forgiving grace comes upon you when you ask. So ask God to help you to obey because then you'll enjoy more of God's presence. Next verse. Verse 6. Then I shall not be put to shame having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. Okay, when you're completely surrendered, not sinless, but you're surrendered. Every area, like, help me here, Lord. I surrender this to you. Strengthen me against that area of sin. I don't want to do that anymore. When you're surrendered before the Lord, you will feel no shame before God because you know you're completely forgiven through Jesus. You're clothed with his perfect righteousness and there's no shame between you and God. Okay, now, what's the opposite of no shame? Okay, love, right? acceptance, God's pleasure in you. And so because you're completely surrendered to the Lord, you will know that God's pleased with you. His favor is upon you. His love is upon you. And when God responds to you in that way, you'll be blessed. You'll be filled. You'll be satisfied. Then verse 7, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. See, so you, you, you learn a new rule, you learn a new command, you learn a new, a new statute that God gives you, and you'll praise God. Why? Because every command is an invitation for more closeness with God. Every command is saying, here's how to enjoy me more. Here's how to have more closeness with me. Here's how to glorify me more. Here's how to walk with me more, more deeply, more intimately, more faithfully. More beautifully. Here's how to fellowship with me more. And so every time you see a command, you say, praise you. Another command, thank you. Would you ever balk at God giving you another invitation? I'd like to meet you here. I'd like to meet you here. I'd like to meet you here. That's what every command is. And so when we learn his commandments, we will give him praise. And then he finishes with verse 8. 
I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. You know, that last line really stumped me. What's he saying? Do not utterly forsake me. So I looked up uh, a guy named Thomas Manton wrote or preached one sermon on every verse in Psalm 119. Okay? Long book. Ebook. Helpful. Anyway. And I, so I looked up this verse and it was so helpful what he said. And it actually, every commentator I read said the same thing. What's happening here when he says, do not utterly forsake me, is he's just simply praying again what he's prayed in verse 5. Lord, if you forsake me utterly, if you lift your grace completely off of me, I will be undone. I will never walk with you. I will never obey you. Don't lift your hand off of me. It's just another way of praying, bring your hand upon me. Bring me your grace. Help me to obey. Help me, Father, to obey. And whenever you pray and ask God to help you to obey, he will. I promise you, he will. You're thinking, even in that area, especially in that area, he will, he will, he will. He will help you. He will help you. Father, help me to not lie. Father, help me to love my husband, my wife. Help me to to serve people in my home group. Help me. He will help you. And then you'll be blessed because you'll have more fellowship with him. Okay, now, questions. I like to open it up for questions so that I, I can be more clear. Maybe something just doesn't make sense to you. It'll be somebody else will have the same question you have, so be sure to ask it. But what questions? What's puzzling to you? Are you, are you seeing this? The, the, the big idea that I think God wants us to walk away with is every command from God is an invitation for more closeness with him through Jesus Christ. So welcome them. Thank him for them. Ask him to help you and walk in them, and you'll experience more of that blessedness. But but what questions? Yeah, here's how I... In other words, sometimes he doesn't answer those those other ones, right? Like, help me to be healthy. Okay, and I had, had this little stroke. Um, the difference is, though, that we know that when we ask him to help us obey, that is his will. Right? He will always answer that prayer, yes. If we mean it, he will always answer that prayer, yes. He'll help us. Okay? doesn't mean you become sinless in that area. Right? But he will give you more grace. More grace. And you'll, you'll obey more and more. Well, doing better at work is, is because he wants you to work excellently, to work hard within your own capacities, and he will help you do that. If you say, get me this promotion, he may or may not do that. Right? That's not the same as he wants us all to work to our utmost ability for his glory. That's exactly right. Oh, that, isn't that encouraging? When you ask God for anything, and if he ever says no, which he does sometimes, it's, it's because he's actually bringing you something even better. Even better. He's our loving Father. Okay, so pray about everything. So here's, here's my final... I just want you to ask yourself the question, walking in here this morning, how have you tended to think about God's commands? How have you tended to think about them? As, as oppressive as a burden, as something you don't really want to think about too much. And I hope that what the author of Psalm 119 has done for you so far as these first eight verses is to give you a different picture of God's commands. God's commands are an invitation to blessing, to true heartfelt joy and satisfaction in worshiping God, 
beholding Jesus Christ, fellowshipping with him, communing with him, talking with him, walking with him, loving him, knowing him. Every command is an invitation given to you by God for a sweeter, closer walk with him through Jesus Christ. And so welcome them. Ask him to help you obey them. Resolve to keep them diligently. And he will give give you his grace to enable you to do that. And when you sin and don't keep them, right? Surrender again. I'm back. Forgive me. Look at what I did. I'm sorry. And you're, you're right back with him, experiencing his presence in that place of blessedness. That's how we walk with the Lord. And as we do that, you'll have times where he pours his love into your heart, satisfies you with living water, meets you in his closeness. So let's stand together. I want to pray this over us. Lord, thank you for your love for us. You don't give us commands just because you want us to check things off a list, but you give us commands because they are each invitations into a closer walk with you, more love for you, deeper worship of you, and living more, giving more glory to you. So I pray, Lord, that you would use this passage to transform how we viewed your commands. I pray, Lord, for anyone here this morning who has not yet come to the place in their lives where they completely surrender to you. And I pray that they would do that now. Every part of their hearts. Not that they've got to be perfect because we never will this side of heaven, but to surrender every part of their lives to you and trust you and your Holy Son, Jesus, and his death on the cross. Save people right now, I pray, Lord. Lord, those who have an area of their life where they've been pursuing sin and have not been surrendering it to you, I pray that you would convict them now by the power of your Holy Spirit, that they would would tremble at the reality of what they're doing before their Creator, and that they would see the forgiveness and the grace that is offered them in Christ, and that they would surrender completely right now. I pray for those here who have who are deeply discouraged over uh, defeat after defeat after defeat in some particular area of their obedience. And I pray that you would show them your promise that when we ask you for help, you will help. You will help us. And so give them faith, even just a mustard seed, to ask you for help and let them see progress this week, I pray. And Lord, I pray for all of us as we're completely surrendering to you, outpourings of your blessing, the joy of knowing you, the heartfelt satisfaction of feeling your love and beholding your glory and worshiping your majesty. Give that to us, I pray, even more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.